Good afternoon and welcome to Susan Harmon Experience. She, where I am having a wonderful day. I have been busy reading Carmen Kisselberry's. Did I pronounce your name correctly? Yes, pretty close. You got it. <laughs> Carmen Kisselberry. Uh, she's a Canadian, um, so she doesn't care about uh, our politics here in the U.S. Uh, so. We've actually had a pretty calm week, uh, amazingly enough. We're still in the Trump administration, and uh, wow, I'm amazed that uh, it hasn't been crazier than than it's, than it's been. How about you, Eric? How are you doing today? Hey, good afternoon, Susan. I'm doing okay. It's a nice Friday here in the Puget Sound, so not complaining. Yeah. Well, my friends have been telling me it's been raining for two weeks, so it's been a little rainy, but tis the season. <laughs> Well, it's sunshiny here in mid eighties. That's okay too. <laughs> yeah, that's okay because next summer you'll be going. When I tell you, well, it's dry heat. You're gonna go. Your oven is dry heat. That's true. <laughs> yep. So um, I am pretty excited. Uh, actually, this guest is here because of you, Eric. Oh yeah. Yeah, you sent me, you forwarded me the email. That's and I right, that's it. right. Yeah, we got a press release on that, and it, mm-hmm. it definitely and looked, I looked like at the book. a cool guest. And uh, I kind of glanced over it, and I went, oh, yeah, this sounds cool. So um, I something I didn't tell Carmen in our brief conversation, my daughter was here, uh, and they were getting ready to leave, and I was on her, with her on the phone, and the cats were in and out, and did it, crazyville. And so I said, listen, I got to hang up now, but I'm going to read the book. Now, what, what was that, Tuesday? Yeah, that was Tuesday. You're was, a machine, obviously. It was Tuesday. It's what, 280 some odd pages. Yeah, you uh, did. And I almost finished it. <laughs> well, I, I mean, I'm only like 20 pages shy of finishing the book. I was reading it up until five minutes ago. <laughs> That's absolutely incredible. Thank you so much. You know, with press and publicity, hardly anybody gets the chance to actually deep dive into that. So, Susan, you're amazing. We really appreciate that. I really appreciate that. Honestly, I think it's disrespectful to an author to interview the author and not read the book. And it's something that drives me crazy when I see that they look at a press package and they ask what's in the press package. But you can't know about a book. Like, how did the title get there? I had to read the book to find out how you got the title. Um, It is it, 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 you know, it is really good. So first of the first question I'm going to ask that I think people will be very interested in is Tell them how the title came about, because it really speaks to how you feel about your childhood and and, and, uh, how that helped create the woman you are today. Yes. So we spent a lot of time deciding what should the title be for this book. And in my mind, I always had it set as The Butcher Shop Girl. It took me 20 years to have enough gumption and courage to talk about this story. So I really kind of thought, no, I'm going to embrace vulnerability. I'm going to embrace the process. I'm just going to go for it. And no holds bar. I'm just going to lay it on people. So The Butcher Shop Girl title comes from A big part of my childhood, I'm a product of divorce like many people are, but at six years old when my parents uh, split up, I went to live with my mom full time who I didn't have a real relationship with. She was uh, quite an alpha woman um, in charge of her own life, came from a very wealthy family and we were in agriculture. So her father was a bit of a Henry Ford in agriculture. We had this large livestock feedlot production area with many, many heads of cattle. I want you to think Dallas, like the Ewings, that kind of scene. Mm -hmm. Who shot? Yeah, (laughs) absolutely. So that was was a big event for for those of you listening who weren't old enough to remember the show Dallas. um, They ended the season with Who Shot JR and people all over the country <laughs> were just all summer waiting for the for the yes. first show to come on so we could find out who shot JR. Yes. So my upbringing 
in my mother's full-time care and with her family was very much like a walking episode of Dallas on the daily. So my mom was in charge of one part of my grandfather's empire, which was the butcher shop. And this butcher shop was a quite a large scale commercial uh, venture that serviced five counties all around us. So now, for those who don't know, you were raised in Alberta. Yes, uh, Canada, and uh, which is known for two things: farms and oil. Yeah, you betcha. We're kind of like a little uh, a little Texas without the ocean, or Oklahoma, <laughs> you know that kind of thing. So yeah, and our uh, our major cities of Calgary is very similar to Houston. So yeah, you betcha, Susan. Um, so I was in her care full time, and the best way to get to know my mom was by watching her work and working with her. And even though she came from a very wealthy family, everybody worked hard and nothing was given to you. It was, you had to earn it. And it was a bit, very much a sink or swim kind of environment. So she was the general manager of this large operation. And I was, and now she found herself as a single mother raising these two kids. And she was very, very young herself. So it's important to note to, to your listeners that she was 17 when she had me and she was 20 years old when she had my brother. By the time she was 22, she was divorced and running this big business on her own. Um, so we just all hands on deck worked at the butcher shop every day after school. I took the bus there, uh, Saturdays, we worked there hunting season We're you know, 24 hours a day working there. And I became very proud of who I am and who I was like who, where I came from and the hard work that we did. So I went to school in my small community and, you know, was telling my teachers and my friends about my mom's business and how busy we were and how proud I was. And, you know, I was quite an androgynous little girl. I looked like a boy till I was 12 years old. And the school was doing tours and visits of local businesses. So they asked my mom if they, if my class could go visit her business operation. And of course we were all thrilled about it. I was excited to finally get to share this with my my, my little friends and who were like my brothers and sisters in our small community, you know, I, I was in a French immersion class and we had the same seven girls and the same seven boys. So I knew them very, very well. I was so excited for them to come and tour a big part of my life. And when they got there that day, I think I was in about grade two or three, something like that. And they saw the sides of beef hanging. They saw the butchers carving a side of beef down into smaller chunks. And the sound of the saw cutting through the bone makes a high pitch sound. It's turned away with such disgust and abhorrence to see flesh, animal flesh, and how it's really prepared. And my mom was explaining to them where food from the grocery store comes from. How does it actually look? This is the back ends of the scene. When I got to school the next day, they just started taunting me and teasing me and calling me the dirty butcher shop girl. And I can honestly tell you, Susan, it was a stigma that stuck with me mm -hmm. for the whole time I was at that school for many, many years after. And I became quite a social pariah. And it was so hard to fit in with this small town, um, the small same group of kids all the time. Now they, I felt like I was naked and they saw me and mm -hmm. they didn't like what they saw. And it was yeah, so it's like going from something you took great pride in yes. and have that just torn away from you yes. and, 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 and emotionally brutalized. Yes. And, and it, it, that diminishes bad. anyone. You were what, 10 or something? At, yes. Very young 10 years old. And to, to have that stripped away in one day. Yes. Uh, is, is emotionally um, just ridiculous. So of course your family couldn't understand the, the no. issue. You couldn't talk to them about it. And at age 10, it's very, very difficult. Yes. And my mom, like I said, she was a very alpha woman. So she didn't have time to entertain those little, little mm -hmm. uh, queries or, hey, mom, my, my feelings are hurt. Can I talk to you no, about this? She just wasn't interested because she was just trailblazing a trail on her own, which keeping her business afloat and keeping well, her family afloat. And I understand that because when you think about it, she got pregnant and yes. had to get married. Yes. And the shame involved around that when when everybody else was going off to getting pregnant and getting married when everyone else was going off to university was yes. a, a cross for her to bear. Yes. And, and so she was proving to her father her own worthiness 
And this was, there wasn't time for you. Yes. And you know, I think you picked up on that so beautifully, Susan. Thank you. Because this book is not, my, my mom was, was, is quite an abusive person. She was, we have actually a pretty good relationship now in our adult lives. We respect each other immensely. And I would regard us as very close, um, which leads me to a lot of themes in the book that we don't, you gotta, you gotta stop that victim mentality. This happened to me. Yes. My, you know, it, it's so crippling. It steals from your brighter tomorrow. And people change. Like my mom was a young woman at that time in an unreal set of circumstances and pressure. So for her to act in accordingly, it's it's not a mark against her. It's just a story. And it's just how she was at that time. It doesn't mean that she hasn't evolved and grown from there like we all have. So but shame and blame. Yeah. Have damaged us as human beings in yeah. so many ways, women especially. Yes, we have a hard time letting it go. Yeah. yeah, it's like, well, well, what's wrong with me? Yes, you know, and uh, uh, yeah. So you know, I, I look at you, at your life and you think, oh, she's a little farm girl, you know. She, but I don't think most people really realize what it takes to run a small farm, much less the kind of operation that really both sides of your family had, your yes. your father's side much smaller yes. than your mother's side. But still, farming is not easy. You are, you're depending on the weather, you're depending on the market, you, you've got all these pieces that you have to constantly be juggling. Yes. And I don't think realize, I, I don't think most people realize what it takes to put food on the plates that I go to the grocery store, I buy this, I buy that, I go home, fix it. Yeah. What did it take for that? I don't care if you're vegan or if you're, or if you're a meat eater or whatever, you buy the stuff and you take it to your house and you fix it and eat it. But how did it get there? What did it take for it to get there? And the, the fact is, the average person, they can drive by a cornfield. They don't know what happened between the time that seeds went into the ground and did the rainfall and did a did a hailstorm come or, you know what I mean? It's just so much. And yes. you get up really early. That's what amazes me, getting up so early. <laughs> yes. And feeding the animals have to be taken care of because, and and this is the dichotomy, I think. And it's, it, to me, fascinating. You have to take such good care of the animals that are then butchered. Yes. And it was, it's really hard to reconcile that. And I'm, I'm not trying to take it away from you talking, but no, that's the 4-H experience touched me. It just touched me so incredibly. Really, if you guys read this book, it's a fascinating read. You, you can't really just set it down because it's really, really, truly well. And I'm an author. It's really well written. It's, it's very well written. high praise for writing. And thank you. I'm quite a fan of your work as well. So. That's so you know when you when you when you do this when you see what it takes, and you you are obviously not a stranger to hard work. No, that's right. I think that type of background really gave me uh, the essence of the value of hard work. And what does that mean? What does it look like? Um, I was able to raise animals with the 4-H program, got comfortable with that cycle of life. We raise them so that we can consume them. Doesn't mean that we can uh, detach ourselves from the process. In fact, envelop it um, I, or embrace it. So I found that the farming background, hard work and getting comfortable with the cycle of life was really some of the formative characters that I think any children should experience because it helps them to form a better character or see the world in a more macro view and get away from extremism, black and white thinking, something is good or it's bad. There's all those shades of gray. So biology teaches us that. So whether I was working in the butcher shop, tearing flesh away from bone while still loving on my 4-H animal, knowing full well that it's going to get sold to a nice family for meat and will be slaughtered. Life is beautiful like that. It involves all the shades of gray. We can love all of it from start to finish. It's not good or it's not bad. It's everything in between. And it's that journey that is so fulfilling and helps us when we 
interact with people or get a job or really need to get to work early every day and put in an honest effort. All of that comes from the farm, the butcher shop, and later in the oil field as well, working with a lot of men when there wasn't a lot of women working in that industry. I took all of that farming background and early days exposure and applied that when I went to go work in the oil field. And that was awesome. It helped me to fit in. It helped me to understand men as well, because I feel farming, <laughs> farming, you don't, you don't really focus on girl boy. You know, you don't focus on male. Yeah, you focus, on a, a, a focus on a pitchfork. And- <laughs> yeah, get to work, right? It's all about getting to work. And nobody cares uh, what you have under your clothes as long as you're there to help. So I find, yeah, women could maybe learn a thing or two from that, especially with that feminist movement that all of our foremothers fought so hard for. It really ties in nicely there. Yes, women can do all the same things, and this is how, by not focusing on gender. Yeah, and it was interesting to me how you described your grandmothers, that they were similar but different. Um, And they both had crosses to bear with their husbands. Yes, one being an alcoholic husband and one being an extremely driven capitalist where both of them kind of seem to get lost in the shuffle with those powerful men as the head of their families. And they were both just uh, really incredibly hardworking women that just did not get the the praise and accolade that I thought they deserved. And, uh, you know, unfortunately, Susan, I haven't told a lot of people this story because, well, it's difficult, but since we're talking about the two of them, I dedicated the book to Elizabeth and Anita because my mom was working so much I barely had a relationship with her. Those two women were like my real mothers. So I wanted to dedicate this book to them. They're both gone. And both of them passed away in a completely tragic sense. So Anita uh, passed away with uh, my uncle John, who's in the book, Jean. He was a private pilot. And him and his wife and my grandmother were in their private uh, Cessna and, and didn't make it one night and we lost them about 10 years ago so and then an, uh, Elizabeth passed away in a car accident when they were you know quite elderly already but I just feel like that's just not you guys were so incredible I needed to immortalize you longer yeah immortalize you somehow and just make your story and your 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 secret plight recorded bring but you to life what I thought was wonderful in the book about these two women was they're not just simple quote simple uh farm women they were full and complete human beings like i said both with difficult husbands they handled it in a very quiet manner and you point out about both of them but your grandma betty a teacher yes fully engaged in in education and your your french other grandmother, paternal grandmother, I mean, maternal grandmother. um, Yeah, teaching you to drive, letting you. And I I noticed how how the car thing really played out in the book with with her teaching you how to handle a clutch and not hollering at you and you were scared she'd be mad. She's like, no, 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 try it again, do it again. Very patient. And your mother grabbing the steering wheel out of your hands and causing the accidents that you had. And in both cases, you thought you they were going to be angry with you. Yes. In the second, that was true. But- and that's it. That's, I think, what happens to children when they're raised with an unforgiving, unrelenting parent, one that right. doesn't really take the time to, cult- to cultivate a nice inner speaking voice within you. It's always do better, try harder. Oh, you got an 89 on that test. Why didn't you get a 99? You know, so you end my up. Mother, my mother went through, yeah. my mother went through that, that uh, she got a report card and, and, and her aunt said to her, well, dear, it would be very nice if it wasn't for this A minus. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, she, well, they were all A's. <laughs> you know? That's it. I mean, like, but it was that. It was always something just, just a little bit to diminish her. Yes. As a person, and um, you know, having her as a mother for me made a difference because she was a, a remarkable woman, and um, uh, you know that uh, that I I have that is a blessing in my life. 
And I think it made a difference for me in how I dealt with things. Yes. And, and I, I really do think that that uh, that relationship can do things to us in ways we're not aware of until we get older and have children <laughs> and, and start going, oh, this is what it looks like on this yeah, side. Well, this is childhood trauma coming to say <laughs> <Yeah>. hello. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And for me, it manifested in overachieving. So I couldn't do good enough. So I had to keep trying harder and harder and harder. And it really kind of reared its ugly head when I became a mother myself. And my husband would be like, hey, you know, you're doing an amazing job. Like, so what if you didn't get to this, this or that today enough? Like you're putting, you're your own worst enemy. So you need to stop mm-hmm. that. And my friends too, I, I just uh, started business because uh Capitalism is super familiar to me. Being a farmer, you are your own business. And then to have that type of exposure to my grandfather's conglomerate and seeing him as that amazing capitalist that he was, I'm super confident with business, starting them, operating them, growing them. So that later as well became my natural path. Uh, My husband and I started quite a few oil field companies and I as well run a branding agency full time. And I'm quite busy with that as well, but it's always achieving. I, I'm, I found that when I would reach an apex of success with a certain project, I would stop, smell the roses for a nanosecond, enjoy it, and then I'd be on to the next best thing. Next, next, mm-hmm. next. And I was insatiated, like insatiable. I couldn't, I couldn't I would, achieve enough. I wouldn't know anything about that. I always some starting projects when I haven't finished the one before. <laughs> because maybe you weren't abused enough as a child, <laughs> Susan. <laughs> I need a little. Well, my mother was different than my father. Yes. Yeah, and that's uh, and that's and and I've said this on my show before that I don't forgive my father for his violence. I thank him because yes. it helped create who I am, and I like me. That really, really resonates with me a lot, Susan. It really yeah, does. You know. That's how I feel about my mother. And, you know, I can tell I'm in my 40s now. So I can say, Mom, you know, that's too much. I'm not doing that. Right. We have boundaries. We've established them. She doesn't bulldoze over me anymore. And I don't impose my will on her. We, But it took a long time to get there for both yeah. of us. We, yeah. we largely grew up together. So I don't hold anything against her. I welcome her and her journey. Let her know that she's always got me to lean on and vice versa so some beauty can come out of that if you get the chance sometimes too many years go by and we spend them in bitterness and anger and we just cut those people out of our life i know it's crazy because bitter and bitter if you're a bitter person and that anger that acid deteriorates your soul Yes. And it, it, it doesn't hurt the person you're upset with oh gosh isn't that the but it hurts yourself that's right. It eats away at you. So it serves no purpose. And and I think you talk a good game too about how to get that closure when somebody's not there to give it to you. Sometimes you just have to give it to yourself. The best thing you can do is to love yourself. Yeah. Absolutely. And um, I mean, for me, sometimes I'm like, okay, I haven't gotten enough done. And one of the things that I've done is go back and look at old lists. Well, actually, I did accomplish something. <laughs> I have completed, why? I have completed 10 out of 12 of them. There you go. That's great. We are so hard on ourselves. So enough of that. We don't need that, right? Yeah. And we uh, just, you got to realize that what you're putting out is probably so much better than you will give yourself credit for. So surround yourself with the people that can remind you of that and then try to be that person to others. Where, you, and you realize too, I think you've seen it in your own life. You draw to you the people yes. that, I mean, I have people that I love very much, but they're always in a drama. Yes, gosh. And they just seem to, and then they, they draw people to them that yeah. are drama oriented. Yeah. And they don't understand why these people are in their life. I said, well, maybe if you could be more positive and see things from a different perspective, you will find those people coming into your life more and more and more until you're not, you're not doing the drama anymore. Yes, that's right. Manifestation is everything. Gosh, I feel like people, that, that's a whole other lesson in itself. You yeah. draw to you what you are because yeah. I think 
spiritually and within the universe it doesn't matter if you you know have a, a you believe in god or you believe in a universe or you're a yogi or whatever it is that thing. That, yeah that there's some sort of you know divine presence whatever it is to that individual and it will put in your path what you need to learn from to get better with or to succeed so I think, yeah, drama people, they love, misery loves company, drama loves company, they'll keep finding each other. But no, actually, I find now I just don't have a lot of that because I don't, I don't entertain it. And I bet you could say the same. I, I can. I had a woman over here last week. We had talked on the phone. I had met her before I, I, I you know, did a recording. I'm going to do a show later. But but she said uh, she had invited this friend to come with or Well, the friend had invited herself to come with them. And she got there, and the first thing it was like da 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 da, da. and finally she said, "Stop! Do you know how exhausting this is listening to you? Yeah, I'm tired <laughs> even just listening I to can't it. Do this if you're going to be around me, you can't do it." And I thought, you know, I've sat quietly and let people, uh huh, mm hmm, mm hmm, mm hmm, and and I can't do that anymore. I'm like, uh, you know, really, I. Have you finished? Good. You got that out of your system. Now can we move on to yeah. something else? Absolutely. Now, a That's bit kinder than she did, but. <laughs> well, I find, I don't know about you, Susan, you seem like you're pretty tactful, but I struggle with tact too, because I'm such a, you know, disciplined, take no prisoners kind of person. I've had to learn to soften up. That's been my great big life's work journey. Learn how to soften up, lean into your femininity. Oh, um, Eric. Tell her that I'm not always so sweet and kind. Oh, I'm sure. <laughs> but yeah, like being blunt and direct, I just find is more masculine. It It's off-putting to a lot of my my real girly girlfriends. And they know me well enough to know that. But Isn't being blunt and coming to the point the same thing? <laughs> yes, I think so. And it saves time. Another thing that I'm nuanced by is just time wasters. So if you're talking yes. about a bunch of gibberish and I don't have time for it because I usually don't. I'm a very busy person working on projects so driven and focused that I don't have time for that. So sometimes I just say, you know what? I'm sorry. We're going to have to schedule a time to talk about your drama because I don't have that time right now. And I'm getting annoyed. I'm getting super annoyed just talking about it. So they've kind of reminded me too to... <laughs> Like, relax, soften up a little bit. I just well, need somebody to talk to. So. There's one person who has to talk to me about the boyfriend and how horrible he is. Oh, and, right. And That's I'll send to somebody else, well, I need to talk to you about that. He says, I don't want to hear it. He says, yeah, but she says, but yeah, but my mom won't listen to me anymore. You know, I'm like... Yeah, that's right. Because yeah, I'm like exhausted. Yeah, totally. I've heard this, and you know, you're making the choices that you're making, and they're not my choices. So I love you, but no. Yeah. So we are uh, going to take a few minutes uh, to take a break. Uh, you're listening to uh, Susan Harmon and Carmen Kisselberry here discussing. What it takes to be a woman, really, essentially, essentially, the butcher shop girl is about being a woman and the aspects and what that looks like growing up with on the farm, working in the oil and gas industry. But the more exciting part is uh, being a dancer. And we want to talk about the aspects of what kind of a dancer were you? And I um, will tell you a secret a lot of people don't know about me. I worked in uh, topless clubs in, uh, no in Texas. Yeah. <laughs> oh my goodness. Yeah. So oh, it's that's amazing what people will share. has been exposed today. <laughs> it was a dancer. <laughs> oh, this is awesome. Yes. We need to, we need to get to that when we get back um, from the break. Stay tuned to, for, to more exciting and salacious information when we return <laughs> with Susan Harmon experience. You're invited to returning to the one and all cultural retreat stemming from the single thread that traveled the four directions and now unifies. Through energy work with fire, water, earth, and air, both individually and in group, the five participants will evolve. Reserve space for early bird discounts because space is truly limited to five participants. This retreat takes place in sunny Arizona during January for a four-day in-resort setting with private pools. 
school. Email Susan at SusanHarmon.com for more information. That's Susan at SusanHarmon.com. This message is from the National Council on Aging. Adults over age 60 are at higher risk for the COVID-19 coronavirus because they may have weaker immune systems or chronic health conditions. The Centers for Disease Control recommends older adults avoid crowds and people who are sick. Wash your hands and disinfect surfaces often. Keep a two-week supply of food and medicine on hand. Learn more at ncoa.org. On Friday, Manson Mitchell welcomed Robert Moss, creator of the School of Active Dreaming, to talk about his latest book, Growing Big Dreams, and how to use our imaginations in very practical ways. On Saturday, Teresa Fieberts, a minister who teaches the science of mind philosophy, talks about making the attitude of gratitude a daily practice in your life. Bringing you fascinating talk one hour at a time since 2007. We are Manson Mitchell, Friday and Saturday mornings at 10 on Alternative Talk AM 1150. Wondering what's on next on Alternative Talk 1150? Check out 1150kknw.com. Welcome back to Susan Harmon Experience, where I am here with Carmen Kisselberry, the author, the, the author of The Butcher Girl's... What is it? The butcher Girl story? What? Yep, the butcher shop girl. The butcher shop girl. Butcher shop girl. I'll get it right eventually. I kind of write at the beginning. <laughs> I just <laughs> we're having so much fun. I forgot. Uh, the butcher shop girl. And because I like the way you start the book in Bolivia and then you come back to after Bolivia towards the end of the book. Oh. And I, I think that that uh, really grabs your attention. Uh, and it kind of reminded me of Butch, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid when they went to Bolivia. <laughs> yes, right? Gosh, South America is such an old place, too, and little little looked at. So, yeah, I wanted to compose the book like that because, well, nowadays we're so busy. It's hard to catch attention. I wanted to start with that big opening hook scene and then people could hopefully understand the choices of how I even got to that situation by bringing them back to the beginning. So thank you. That's a composition detail that you picked up on. I guess that's because I'm right. You you kind of know what you're looking at. You learn from everyone and everything if you are paying attention in this world uh, because you're a conglomeration of of everyone you've ever met. Yeah, and uh, I'm always meeting new people. Uh, it it kind of drives my older daughter crazy. I'll just go up and like, hey, what's going on over here? What can I find out? <laughs> you know, but I <laughs> yes, you're so Oh yeah, one time I uh, it's New Year's Eve. I had gone down for my friend was quitting, you know, uh, retiring from her job, and I'd done the party. I'd driven down there. She had taken the bus to downtown Seattle, and w- we came out of the thing, and my radiator exploded coming out of the parking garage. And I got down to the gas station in downtown Seattle, and we were stuck there waiting for to get towed on New Year's Eve. <laughs> so. So I, my daughter's calling me and I said, oh, I got to go. There's this homeless guy coming to help me. Mom, mom. And I hung up the phone. She's like, are you crazy? Like, I wasn't a bit worried. Everybody was really nice to me. And, you know, they were, they were great and helpful and all. And she was like, you can't talk to strangers. My daughter's telling her mother, you can't talk to strangers. I never yeah. told my children they couldn't talk to strangers. I said, learn to be intuitive about That's people. Great. I like that <laughs> approach. Yeah, because it's yourself off, just learn to read the situation better. Read it better. And then yeah. because strangers, just because someone is a stranger doesn't mean they're bad. They can be. That's right. But it's usually people you know that you have the most problems with. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, sitting down at an airplane, you know, the person next to me, my husband would be like, oh, by the time we land and deboard, you're going to know everything about this person and <laughs> ah, whatever, though, I'm curious and you are too. And, and I think that's why our lives are enriched by that. We exactly we, we take pleasure in people. So um, I'm really happy that you're enjoying your read of the butcher shop girl so much because that just means a lot to me. I want to connect with you type of people. You guys are my tribe. You guys are my audience. And that's just so special to me. It's, it's important. And, um, you know, I took ballet. My parents uh, retired from vaudeville. They opened a costuming shop in Chicago. And then they retired from that. And they opened a dancing school in Arkansas. And we had to take dance classes. So yes. I wasn't that good. 
but I was, you know, but I did ballet, so I do know how to do a grand jeté. If I yes, a grand jeté, that's right, plié. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so your 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 training as a dancer put you in the position to become a dancer, and you found money was your motivation. Yes, money and independence. I needed right. to, um, kind of when I rejected my upbringing and rejected my mom, and I really at that point had cut her out of my life, and I had my own apartment at 17 years old, trying to manage grade 12 graduation high school while working full-time paying my bills. Uh, I just, uh, that's, you know, pretty soon I let go of school, and I started working full-time, which I identified as a worker bee anyway, and I realized that Money is the only thing that my young self needed to make my way, to pay my bills and to have the life that I wanted. So school just wasn't at the top of my mind at all. I wanted independence and I wanted to be able to afford it and roll that. In our little boom bust communities that are oil and gas and agriculture, some years are extremely flush and some years are extremely lean. That's my life. Yeah, I can, yeah, right. Up flush knot, yeah, rolling knot. Like flying without a net, you know. Like sometimes it's beans and sometimes it's steak. <laughs> yep, absolutely. So I found myself in that position at a young person at a young person's age, where typically all of my good friends were in university. They were making their families proud, and here I am waitressing at a dive bar. Tradition. Yes, <laughs> yeah, that's it. That's it. I'm waitressing on the outskirts of town because I just lost my oil field job and I'm working at an exotic entertainment nightclub. And I mean, nightclub is is a generous stretch. This place is a home for lonely souls, you know, and where I'm pretty sure. It smelled like it. Yeah, 1942 died in there and that was the end of it. So anyways, yeah, here I am, me and my really good friend, Kelly, which um, I describe in the book as well. Her and I are, are running this little, we're waitressing at this little strip club on the outskirts of town because we have a pretty Catholic town. So no, no, uh, uh, counselors would allow that business to operate in our town. So it was okay if it was outside of town, just not in town. The track. So we were making so much money. Even, yeah, exactly. Bad side of town, right? We were making so much money there just even as waitresses, but you know, just enough to pay my bills and be that single girl paying for my apartment. And I had a truck payment. You know, I had big bills at a young age because I just, I'm going to be an adult now. And I was struggling to make ends meet. So one of the dancers that came in one week, her name was Hunter Holiday. That's the name I've given her in the book to protect her identity. She was gorgeous and she was just a nice girl. And you could tell she was just so wealthy. Like she was just, she had a lot of money. All of her clothes and everything about her was just polished. She didn't fit the typical mold of girls that would come to our bar. We would, my, the, the owner would usually get these girls, like one had one arm one time, you know, it was all not what you'd see in the big city exotic entertainment clubs where you have the best of the best. And here's this girl walking in our door. And I don't know what she did wrong with the agency or whatnot, but she was there. She was, those little towns is where they make a lot of money. She was telling me one day and she said, you know, you're really good looking. And why, why wouldn't you do this if you, you know, lost your oil field job and you're just waitressing and, you know, you just told me that you spent a lot of years in ballet. Why don't you do this? And, you know, in the book I described not to give it away, but I described that moment, that aha moment. And I kind of thought, Hey, maybe we'll give this a go. Let's see what happens. Maybe if I could do it far enough away and nobody would know that maybe I could warm up to that idea. So I don't want to give too much away because everybody's got to get the book, but just some of the happenstance that happens to you when these life-changing moments are staring at you and you don't even recognize it because you're a kid or you don't even know how that's going to change your life for better, for worse, or for all of it in between. And that's exactly what happened on the the next three-year journey that came from there. So important, I guess, to tell listeners that anybody who's reading The Butcher Shop Girl, it is a coming-of-age story that ends when I'm 21 years old. So I have this remarkable upbringing, but it ends when I'm 21. And you haven't quite made it to the end yet, so I don't want you there. I don't want to give it all away to you, but yeah. No, no, no. But I know what you're talking about because I worked at, you're going to love this. The (gasps) bar was called, it was a cop bar. You were 
You worked in a biker bar. Yes. I worked in a cop bar. <laughs> what did, yeah. Wow. Yeah. You know, they're basically the same. Mm-hmm. You know, still guys, tough eyes doing this yeah. thing. You know, and the and the little black panties we wore, that was it. Our, that was our costume. Were written across the black panties in white stitching was end zone. Oh, funny. Oh, my <laughs> <God>. <laughs> I've never told told this story on the air before. Oh, no way. Well, you're in a safe place. Yeah. (laughs) The secret of Susan's is out. I should do it. I think you need (laughs) a different segment. Yeah, Susan's secrets. I think you got a lot of them. I I can tell. I do. I do. I was, well, I actually, one of them is coming out because I've just finished uh, in March, I just finished writing a screenplay. Oh, uh, wow. I was a smuggler. Oh, that's a lot of work. That's a lot of work. Yeah. That's and, it. you know, and it's so much of what we're doing, like as a dancer in a club, you have to be a strong woman, either yeah. that or you're going to be just trampled on. Yes. You, taken you know, advantage of. Yeah. It's, there's two kinds of women that work in clubs. The women that are just beaten down to nothing are yeah. the women that are very strong. That's right. I mean, it's true. It's it's real basic, and you it learn. It is basic. Fast. It really brings out those basic human characteristics. I think that's a great word to use in that instance. It's just primal. Yes, it's, yes. it's extreme as well. It's sink or swim. There's no yes. win between. You either have to be strong and advocate for yourself and always protect yourself, or else you get bulldozed and taken Absolutely. advantage of. And those are I the, a, the side I, stories. For sure. I did a dance one time. I have to tell this, this is good. Well, I used to make friends with with a lot of the guys, and they they really liked me. I was happily married, uh, you know, and all this, and and uh, uh, so this guy was going back east, and he was leaving, you know, Austin, Texas. A lot of hippie girls were dancers in Austin, Texas. Yeah. So anyway, uh, he asked if I would dance to the theme song in Tommy. Oh, that yeah. is like about ten minutes long. Yeah, it changes all the way through it. (laughs) Literally, in a topless bar, I got a standing ovation. Oh, that's pretty remarkable. (laughs) That's a tough stat. That is tough. A standing ovation, if you can believe that. Because you're usually compensated by the song. So, yeah, the the real pros that know how to work the scene know that you stay away from those 10 minute songs. Exactly. (laughs) Because I thought, really, you want me to dance to that? Yeah, like you're going to get a lot of value here out of that 10 minutes. Oh, my goodness. That's hilarious. Good for you. And it changed all the way through. And, I mean, literally, they gave me a standing ovation. So I'm very proud of that moment. Yeah, you should be. Pretty pretty cool. Um, I noticed that there's always that dark, dirty stigma that's attached to the ones that are going to be exposing nudity, like the burlesque movement or exotic entertainers. But... Really, I, I've caught so many Cirque du Soleil shows in Las Vegas. Yes. And I'm like, what's the difference here? These guys just have a few more sequins. You know, what's the deal? How come they're celebrated and these are defamed? Do you, do you know what I mean? I always found that so ridiculous and ironic. Well, well, I, I had this conversation with someone that talked about Stormy Daniels. You know, yeah. well, she's, she's a, a, a porn star. I said, she's an adult film star. And I said, I know you watch porn. So what is your point? You're watching porn. She's making money from it. And, you know, I give her her cred. Uh, I said, and I said, you you talk about what she's selling her body. You sell your body every day for $10 an hour doing something you hate. Girl, sing it. (laughs) Yeah, that's the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. Yeah, don't don't pretend to put on airs when we all, and that's what the butcher shop is. That is absolutely what the essence of this book is, is that w- nobody's here to judge at all. And exactly. let's be real. Let's just be real. Like, I want to create that safe space for you to say those things, for you to say that and mean it and share your truth. And and that is the truth. So considering first impressions are made in three seconds of meeting someone, seeing them like me to you, you to me, mm-hmm. um, any small minds will stay there. Small minds will compartmentalize people and put them in boxes that they can understand. Mm -hmm. Bigger thinkers, independent thinkers, critical thought 
process people will look beyond those boxes and not be so quick to place people in those judgment categories. Oh, you've got money. So. Yep. Yeah, exactly. Oh, you don't have money. So. Yeah. So we talked about when you and I were just getting to know each other on the phone a little bit too, we talked a little bit about like beauty penalties, uh, the trifecta yeah. of a woman being pretty smart and nice. It usually blows everybody's mind. You can be two out of the three, but you can't be all three. And I think it was JLo or Jennifer Lawrence that said that. And I thought it was so brilliant. That really resonated with me. You can't Dolly be- Dolly Yes. Oh my gosh, right? Like, and she's just incredible to me. What a, let's just take a moment to have a bit of a Dolly appreciation moment. She's in the headlines all over again for- giving a million dollars, I think, to Moderna or Pfizer. I'm not sure. One of those vaccine makers mm -hmm. uh, just to help kind of race to find a vaccine. And she she gives books to all kinds of libraries. She's just a, a really incredible person. She doesn't tread in the, the nonsense of politics. She <laughs> There's that famous interview. I don't know who she was with, but she said, of course, I have my opinions. They're pressing her. You know, how do you feel about this political candidate or... And she said, I'm not stepping in that trap. I'm not going in there. I'm an entertainer. I have a big fan base. I love them all. And mm -hmm. I don't want to offend anybody. So I think all of us could learn something or two or three from Dolly Parton. She's amazing. She's amazing. Yeah, I mean, there are people that I don't like their politics. I like them. Yeah, yeah exactly. You know, and, and if you can do that, I had a, a girl on the show that had a, I'm, I'm, I'm one of those wild-eyed radical liberal types, okay? She's ultra-conservative. We met on an airplane. I gave her one of my drink tickets back when we could do drink tickets. Before yeah. COVID. Uh, yeah, no kidding. That sounds like a faraway time. Yeah, yeah, so long ago. Anyway, <laughs> so, so we really got along. We really had I had her on the show, and we talked about our different views. And we were polite to each other and we laughed together. And and I want those days, that's about all from the old days I'd like back, is for us to be respectful to each other and have different opinions instead of, and not call each other names. You know? Yes. I feel it's dangerous when we shut down debate because you level that playing field. You, you take away that safe space for you to talk about you and me to talk about me. So I agree with you there. I think that's that the world needs more of that. That's a great message. I'm really happy to hear anybody. But when you talk about women and, and it's like there's these boxes that people keep, I yeah. feel like you're going to try to put me in a box. You're going to have a hard time keeping Yeah, me. like your box better be the size of the world because yeah. – I'm all the things. And I, I can tell that with you too, Susan, you're very kindred that way. I can't really get a read or a feel off you except for that you're warm and approachable and you're kind. And uh, isn't that a great first impression, right? <laughs> so I yeah. think that's pretty aces. And for that, I would just like to compliment you. A lot of people don't hear that enough. They, they don't get that enough. And I feel like that's what I'm giving out this, this holiday season is, hey, you know what? You have different views than me, but I sure respect that you shared yours with me. Thank you. Yeah. And if I can talk with somebody in a calm way, yes, maybe something that I'm thinking they can get, and maybe I'll get something that I didn't know from them. Yes. But we have to talk calmly to each other. And I think women, more so than men, get pigeonholed pigeonholed a lot and I think that that is a, a is a real issue for most of the women I know so you worked for corporate America okay I didn't uh you know what did you learn how did that impact on your life what can you know what can oh okay that's what you got out of it you know what I mean we can do that with each other we also can like when you talked about your grandmothers uh, they were similar but totally different they got attention by being quiet. Oh, gosh, right? That's it. And sometimes, like, my mother never cursed, ex except one day she'd had it with us. And we were arguing at the kitchen table, and, and she was there with dishes at the sink. And she took a plate, and she slammed it down and broke it and said, GD, you know. We were, what? We just were. We were the best behaved children for about three weeks <laughs> because 
mom had cursed. She never, you know. Yeah, the world's ending when that happens for now, sure. I'm the, I'm the exact opposite. When my, my when my older daughter is a little one, hollered something really horrible out the window at this guy that cut in front of me. Uh, I knew where she'd heard it. <laughs> I knew where that came from. <laughs> yeah, I knew where she'd heard it. I have a potty mouth, you know, I really do. <laughs> Not on the air because I don't want to, you know, have to deal with it. Oh, I get you, Susan. My goodness. Yeah. <laughs> no, not- those are my favorite people, the ones you can just be you with. But uh, I always actually, I think I came across this funny meme. I don't know if it's true or not, but it said people who curse are like 97% more trustworthy. Oh, I, thought, I like it. That's I thought that's got to be true. <laughs> yeah, because you're not putting on any fronts. Yeah, and you but don't care. What the you can overdo it. You yeah. Can, is it you know blah 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 all all day and and every other word you know uh, it, it it's exhausting yes so all of the things i think what makes a person a woman is what makes a person a man oh gosh that's profound just and true. be yourself just be the human being that you are and the very best you you can be mm-hmm. and and you got it made I find that's what really helped men to relate to me is when I didn't come at them with that gender. Like I'm a woman, you need to respect me. I'm a woman. You need to, when you don't do that, it says everything all at the same time because you don't have anything to prove. And it's a quiet way of setting those boundaries. And I, I really did learn a lot of that from Anita and Elizabeth, my grandmothers. They were able to establish those boundaries with strong, dominant men, like you said, by being quiet. And some of that, some of that had a lot of strength in there. How do you do that when you're not a voiceless person who doesn't curse and really just hangs in the, the, the background? You see everything, but you say nothing. Yeah, I can't do that. But either I've been struggling with it ever since. <laughs> Listen, we're we're running short of time. Is there anything like in one minute that you want to say that you want to get out there? And we need to be, let people know how they can get the book. Yes. Okay. Thank you so much, Susan. So, what I would love to leave your listeners with is that this book is a fantastic coming of age memoir. So it's my unusual upbringing that leads people on a wild journey with an interesting story. If you like coming of age stories, then you, it doesn't matter how, what age you are, you will enjoy this story. There's value there. Yes. Uh, extreme resistance and persilient, uh, persistence and resilience is the, the major themes. And you can get it uh, amazon.com, Indigo Chapters, Barnes and Noble online. If you're an e-reader, you can get it for $8. We're really proud of that with these tough economic times. Uh, It's nice and affordable. If you like those physical copies, of course, hit all of the major retailers. If you want it before Christmas in Canada or the United States, get it from our official website, which is thebutchershopgirl.com. Then I will dedicate it and we will express, express it out to you. And you will get it before Christmas. So the retailers I find with COVID shipping is is pretty whack. We don't know how things are going there. Some people are complaining it's taking too long. And I really can't help them with that. Except for if you come to my website, we'll make sure your copy gets to you in an expedited fashion. So uh, really just thank you so much for everybody who has tied into it already. Susan, I just, I feel your energy right even through this, this Zoom connection. I just really, here's a, a big digital hug for you. Thank you so much. Mm-hmm. So um, we are going to end our show the way we always do end it. And this time, this show, it's even more appropriate than usual. Because as you go through your day, remember, there's one thing that you must do. And that, my friends, is to keep on dancing. Oh.